Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Even the darkest days are temporary. <laughs> oh, that's, that's an encouraging uh, message during this pandemic that just seems to go on and on, isn't it? But even it is temporary, especially in light of eternity. It's so small, but... You know, we've been practicing physical distancing for for two years now. I, I was thinking, because I have grandchildren, I was thinking how, you know, for a four-year-old, the last half of their life, the part they remember the most, they've been practicing physical distancing. You know, people are saying, what's it going to be like physically for us to express ourselves to each other on the other side of this pandemic? You know, what's the future of uh, handshakes and, and hugs? I, I don't know. I don't know. But I do know this. <laughs> I do know this, that Jesus can help us bring an end to emotional distancing. Because for a lot of us, it's been going on for a lot longer than, than two years. It's maybe been our entire lives. Or a traumatic experience happened in a relationship with someone and trust was broken and we, we just were playing it safe and we've been practicing emotional distancing ever since. You know, there are, there are really two big fears that contribute to uh, practicing emotional distancing. The first one is this, it's a fear of not being lovable. A fear of not being lovable. My, my wife and I watched a movie. Did you see it? It's called Found. It's sort of a documentary on uh, girls that were born in China during the one-child policy. And, you know, you hear their stories left on a sidewalk outside a, a hospital or a police station. One was left under a bridge, uh, taken to orphanages where the staff-to-child ratio was uh, 1 to 20 uh, children. And the movie followed the story of three girls who were lovingly adopted into families in the United States, and, but now with the help of DNA, they're in their late teens, and they're returning to China in a search for their birth parents, and they're scared. A lot of fear there. You can see it in the, in the interviews, and the biggest question they have, why, why did they give me up? Was I not lovable? And I remember this woman in our church, she had been uh, involved in a job overseas where she had a, a certain position, and she, she was part of our church family here for years. She's with the Lord now, but no one really got to know her um, for good reason. She, she just distanced herself from people, and uh, there was a certain formal way she insisted you, you call her. And uh, you addressed her. She didn't get along with people when she would get uh, into gatherings and into different volunteer situations. She, she, it was like she didn't want people to get close 
to her. It's, it's almost like she worked at being unlovable. And I remember an incident came up and I made an appointment, sat down with her and, and just, just tried to um, lovingly help her understand that what she was saying to people was alienating them. And uh, I, I can't remember how it all got started, but it was a long meeting as she began to just tell me stuff that she'd never told anyone before. How she had been abused as a little girl, just a tiny girl, and for years and years till she ran away and she had this position and overseas and trying to find her identity in that. And anyway, I won't go into all of the tragic details, but I mean, she, she was a walking case of emotional distancing. And... Uh, but at the same time, when you heard her story, you couldn't help but think, if ever there was a case of someone who could say they were never loved and who thought of themselves as unlovable, it was her. No wonder she was protecting herself by emotionally distancing herself from other people. And I did as I do at so many of those times. I went away just saying, Lord, what would Keith Smith have turned out to be as an adult had I had those, those horrible, tragic, abusive experiences as, as a child. You know, in your situation, maybe some of you just can identify with something of, of those people that I've used as examples. The mystery of why you fear not being loved is, is more easily solved. But then there are those who never knew their parents. They were always distant because maybe their parents didn't know how to practice emotional closeness. But people are told they're unwanted and they're treated like they are. I'm still shocked after decades of talking to people, counseling people, how many say in one way or the other, I don't even know what it's like to be loved. I don't even know what it's like to be loved. But there's a second fear that contributes to why people practice emotional distancing, and that is the fear of rejection. Fear of rejection. I have a relative of mine, love her very much, and she's a wonderful, loving wife, has three children. The family at that time went to church together. She gave herself to her family, but it all blew up one day when she discovered her husband was living a double life. For years, he was unfaithful, and her life just unraveled. I remember hearing her say, I'll never be able to trust again. Never be able to trust again. It's been broken. You know, if you've opened up your life to someone only to be let down with betrayal or some form of rejection, it's understandable why you don't move easily into another relationship. You want to avoid repeating any of that kind of pain again. Now, it's wise to be cautious. We need to let trust grow naturally in a relationship with our eyes wide open to reality. But listen, it's never Jesus' plan for us to go through life without friendships, without caring relationships, healthy two-way, non-codependent relationships. Jesus never wants emotional distancing to be a permanent condition. 
But all of us have stuff in our lives we'd rather people not know, right? We talked about that a bit last week. We have regrets from the past. We have flaws that we still struggle with, weaknesses we struggle with in the present. And every, mo- every one of us can have moments where we think, you know, if you, if you knew what I was really like, you would not want to be with me. Why do kids join gangs? Even though they have heard the stories, they know about the destructive outcomes. Why do people get involved sexually with someone they don't, they're just, they don't even really want to? Why do people just go at their work and try and find success and meaning and and having more stuff? It's all, it's all about being accepted and not rejected. And then there are those extreme people pleasers who, who don't even know who they are because in their search for love and acceptance, they spent their lives becoming whatever someone else wants them to be. You know, you look behind all those curtains we've talked about, and what do you find? You find a fear of not being loved. You find a fear of being rejected. Now, do you know, <laughs> listen to me now, do you know what Bible truth brings deep healing for both of those fears. Do you know what it is? I'll give you a hint. It's part of the Christmas story, but it's not talked about a whole lot in the Christmas story. Here it is. It's the pre-existence of Jesus Christ. (laughs) The pre-existence of Jesus Christ. Um, Today, Pastor Jonathan and I begin a series. uh, Jesus, great man, or God? And today I want to talk to you about, did Jesus exist before he walked on earth? You say, Pastor Keith, did I, did I miss something here? Did I fall asleep <laughs> and you change topics? Talk about the fear of rejection, the fear of not being loved, and then suddenly you, you want to talk about the pre-existence of Jesus Christ? What do they got to do with each other? A whole lot. Stay tuned. <laughs> Let's start here. If I ask Canadians... When did Jesus' life begin? I think lots would say, well, that's, that's easy to answer. I know enough Christmas carols to know he's Christ the Savior is born away in a manger on a silent night in a little town of Bethlehem. And so they, they conclude, as a lot of people do, they conclude that Jesus' life began when a baby cried from an animal's feeding trough in a stable in Bethlehem. You know, even a lot of followers of Jesus think that Jesus was sort of like uh, born as a designated Messiah. He, it was just, he's the one the Old Testament of the Bible said will be the redeemer of the human race. And it was all just downloaded into his future without Jesus' previous knowledge or, or, or without his permission and with no opting out clause. That Jesus had, had no say in it. Nothing that the baby Jesus can do about it. He's, he, like the angel said to the shepherds, the, the Savior is born today in Bethlehem. You know, there, there, there's no, if you should choose to accept this mission, Jesus just not even given a choice here. He has no say in it. Jesus, this is your fate. You are locked into this destiny for your life. And if that's the case, it's just sort of uh, God sending his son to earth to die without Jesus even being in on that decision. 
I mean, we, we see in one of our favorite verses in the Gospel of John. So the word, that's a, the expression of God, that's a reference to Jesus, you see, in that context. So the word became human. Jesus became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So the, God's one and only Son is the Word who became human. But, but you notice it starts with the word soul. The word soul. So I, 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 what a word to look up in the dictionary. I, I looked it up in the dictionary, and it said, you know, it means for that reason. <laughs> Therefore, on this basis, it means something has already been introduced, and now you say, so? You know, if you, if you hear someone say to you, you know, so? so? So let's do this. The this is whatever you were just talking about. Otherwise, you wouldn't even know what it, the this was that you were going to do. So, so when the Apostle John says, so, uh, on the basis of, What's he talking about? Here's what he's talking about. Look at his words earlier, just before he says so. He says, in the beginning, the word already existed. Jesus already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him, except through Jesus. So the word that became human and made his home among us, remember that first verse we saw, is the God who existed in the beginning. Wow. That means, watch this now, Jesus is not a created being. He is the being that created all that is created. But if this truth is powerful enough to heal our emotional distancing that's due to a fear of being unlovable and a fear of being rejected, it's important to make sure we got this right, all right? So let's take a quick look at, at just three of many references uh, to the pre-existence of Jesus that you can see in the New Testament of the Bible, all right? The first one, Jesus gets homesick. The second one, there's this awkward conversation that Jesus has answering how old he is. And then we're going to look at the third recording the third one we're going to look at is a recording of a song that was sung by Christians 2,000 years ago. How many of it was recorded long before one church T.O. recorded? Unbelievable. All right. First of all, when Jesus was homesick for heaven. Every once in a while, Jesus would say something like this. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back. Some translations say returning to the Father. And then watch this. You can almost sense the homesickness of Jesus. When he says this, he's just about to go to the cross, and, and he's praying to God his Father, and he says, Father, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Just like it used to be, Father, you and me, just together in holy heaven forever. 
Abba Father, he's saying, I'm looking forward to coming home. I'll see you soon. I long to be reunited with you in your glorious presence. And so Jesus, you almost hear homesick for heaven. Look, look at this other example. When Jesus was asked about his real age, all right? I mean, come on. <laughs> how do you explain to people how old you are when there has never been a time where you have not been alive? <laughs> how do you explain to people how old you are when you have been from eternity past? Time is outside you. You've existed from eternity well, Jesus found himself in that predicament one day. He told a crowd of Jewish people, he says, your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. <laughs> he saw it and he was glad. The people said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say you have seen Abraham? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. I was God. I, I existed from eternity past. And there's basically saying, you pre-existed, Abraham? You know, you don't look a day over 39. <laughs> there, there's there's th third reference we're going to see. It's actually a song that we have in our New Testament copy of the Bible. It was sung by uh, Christians in Philippi, Greece, the Apostle Paul wrote them the lyrics and uh, in his book, they're recorded there. And it says, the first part goes like this. Look at, though he was God, he was God. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. <clears throat> Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. You know, someone said Christmas is the time that God walked down the stairs of heaven with a baby in his arms. But, but, but hold on, hold on. You mean he just began as a baby in Bethlehem? You know, no, we're saying he existed from eternity past. That means, watch this, no new life came into existence when a newborn baby cried in Bethlehem in a stable 2,000 years ago. This was God the Son who created all that has been created. He's being born in his creation so that we can be born again and become a new creation. Now, now this is important. The pre-existence of Christ is so important for several reasons. You know, first of all, some claim that the belief in the deity of Christ, that Jesus was God, was not, was not believed in by Christians until the doctrine evolved into that state centuries later. No, you know, the first generation Christians were already singing about it. You know, here's another reason why it's important. To this day, some religions and cults say Jesus may have existed, but he was not God. He was just a religious founder like Buddha, or he was just a prophet like Mohammed. And so the human race then is left without a savior. But watch this now, because here's where we're going today. Another reason why the pre-existence of Jesus is so important is that it provides deep healing for the two biggest fears that cause us to do emotional distancing. So now we're ready to see how Jesus can bring deep healing 
deep healing, deepest part of our being. And that healing that he has is bigger than our fear of being unlovable. It's deeper and it's greater than our fear of being rejected. All right, all right, so, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at two areas of truth before we pray about this in your life. All right, we're going to see this. Look at, even though Jesus knew ahead of time how messed up we'd get, he still came to forgive and restore us. That's what the preexistence of Jesus means to those that struggle and emotionally distance themselves from others because of the fear of not being loved, fear of rejection. Even though Jesus knew ahead of time how messed up we'd get, he still came to forgive and restore us. You know, I have, I have um, five grandchildren, and some are more huggy than others. Every person has their own personality. I love hugs. I love the closeness of hugs. But sometimes I get hugged because, listen to me, the parent, I hear the parents say, here comes Poppy. You know, go give him a hug. There goes Poppy. Go give him a hug goodbye. So the other day when one of the least huggy of the five uh, looked over at me and her eyes met and I smiled, I don't know what he was thinking, but he it resulted in him coming over and wrapping his arms around me and giving me one of those great big loving hugs. That hug meant so much. Why? Because it wasn't his parents' choice. It was his choice. It was his choice. That's why the pre-existence of Jesus means so much here. It wasn't just God's choice. It was Jesus' choice. It was the Son's choice. The pre-existence of Jesus means that it wasn't just a case of God sending his son to earth without Jesus having any say in the matter. It was his choice. Somewhere in eternity past, before creation, before time was even invented, a decision was made. And, and it was God's son who made that decision with his father. I will sacrifice myself so that these humans made in our image have a second chance at doing the life that we intended for them. Oh, Listen to Jesus now. He says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. This is my decision. You know, some say love is blind. <laughs> it sure wasn't for Jesus. He saw, he wasn't blind to how selfish and messed up and ungrateful and evil and corrupt and unlovable that humans could be. He saw us at our worst and even while we were sinners, he decided to come and give us a second chance. He, even though Jesus knew ahead of time how messed up we'd get, he still came to forgive and restore us. And then look at one more truth before we pray. Look at this. Jesus decided you were valuable enough to make the sacrificial journey from heaven for. He decided you're valuable enough to leave heaven and come to earth. You know, one of my favorite Christmas uh, scriptures, a description of Christmas written by the Apostle Paul, he says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? Though he was rich, he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. 
You know, at Christmas, I think we pastors and teachers for years have done a fairly good job of speaking about how, you know, baby Jesus was born in very, very nasty human conditions. Born in a stable, laid in an animal's feeding crib. We get the he became poor part. We get that. But what Jesus' pre-existence tells us about is how he was rich. He was rich. He was rich. So the big question is, why did he give up heaven and give himself up on the cross? Why did he do it? Well, this tells us, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes, for you, for you he became poor. So that by his poverty, he could make you rich. Jesus saw, watch this now, Jesus saw whatever background you've come from, however you've messed up, whatever your family of origin has been, and, and, and however tragic your life has been, however people have mistreated you, whatever injustices you have encountered in your life, Jesus sees what you could become if you were freed from all of that, freed from your own fears and insecurities and feelings of rejection and unlovability. He sees what you could become if you were given a second chance, if you were given the opportunity to be in his presence forever. He wants you to be rich. He wants you to be rich. That's why he did it. Rich in what matters forever. And ever. Jesus told his father, did you know this? Jesus told his father that he is excited about doing heaven with you. Look at how he says it. He says, Father, he's praying again in that same prayer we saw earlier. He, he goes on to pray, Father, I want, this is what I want, these whom you have given me to be with me where I am in heaven. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before, there it is again, before the world began. He wants us to go with him and see the glory that he experienced before he came as a, a baby that very first Christmas. And he wants to, us to go into and experience the, the freedom of all that's messed us up and, and be in the riches of his grace and of his kingdom and with his father and in his presence forever and ever. And you can hear how excited he is about showing you and me the glories of heaven someday. You know, somebody listening to me, if they were honest, they'd have to say, you know, <laughs> I've never had anyone tell me that they wanted to do life with me, that they wanted to do the future with me. How about this? The God of the universe is excited about spending forever with you, being with you forever. No emotional distancing will be required. You can trust the closeness of a loving Savior who gives it all for you. You know, all, all of this pre-existence, it, it just reminded me of a story I told years ago about this woman who was teaching wonderful African children in a, a country on that wonderful continent. And she loved the children that she taught. It was coming up to Christmas. It was warm out there, but it was coming up to Christmas. And she was explaining to the children how we celebrated Christmas back in the country that she came from. 
And uh, she told them about how Jesus was God's greatest gift and he, 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 his gift was a gift of forgiveness and a gift of eternal life. And that how because Jesus was that gift that we exchange gifts with each other in the Christmases of the country that she had come from. Well, a few days later, there's this, uh, she's in her home and it's a knock on the door. And uh, it's one of her students, a young boy. And he has a gift for her. It's a beautiful but very rare seashell. She recognized it. That uh, it, it, it came from the ocean side, um, over 20-some kilometers away. And so she looked at the boy and she says, oh, is this for me? She says, yes, for my gift to you. And she said, but where did you get it? He says, I got it myself. And she said, yeah, but, but the, you mean you walked all the way to the ocean side to get this for me? And he just beamed up at her and he says, the long walk was part of the gift. The long walk was part of the gift. See, Jesus didn't find himself just being our redeemer, our savior, as he grew up from a baby. No, 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 no listen, listen, the, the trip to you with forgiveness and eternal life didn't start in a crib in Bethlehem. It started in the throne, of, throne room of heaven. It didn't start when Christ the Savior was born away in a manger in a little town of Bethlehem on a silent night. No, it began with the love of God in eternity past that even though these beings that are made in our image are going to go their own way, we're going to give them a second chance. And they made that long trip to come to you. You see, the pre... Listen, I was thinking it this way. Look at this. Just before we pray, the pre-existence of Jesus Christ means that there are six things that you and I will never more be able to say. We won't be able to say these forever. Not, not just in this life, we'll not say them forever. We will not be able to say, I don't know what it's like to be loved. You, you, you can't say that. Because the pre-existent Christ <laughs> loved you so much, he gave, everything, gave up everything. And then he came and gave up everything on the cross so that you could have everything and be rich. You, know, no, you won't be able to say, I don't know what it's like to have someone be fully committed to me. There are people out there, you know, the loneliness of the pandemic. And I, I, I don't, I, no, you won't be able to say that now because of the pre-existent Jesus. You won't be able to say, I don't know what it's like. You, you won't be able to say, I've never been given a second chance. <laughs> yes, you have. Because of the pre-existent Jesus who loves you, you, you'll never be able to say, if someone knew what I was really like, they would not want to be with me. You're never going to be able to say this. I've never had anyone travel a long distance to be with me because I am that valuable to them. You're not going to be able to say that anymore. And you're not going to be able to say this. I don't know what it's like to have someone excited excited about doing the future with me. Man, we look at the cross and we thought we were loved. But look at what Jesus, the pre-existent Christ, gave up to go to that cross. Man, we're, we're more loved than we thought we were. 
Let's pray together. And, and how many are tracking with me today? You say, Pastor Keith, if you'll lead me in a prayer, I'm ready to open up my life to the love of Jesus, to receive his, that gift of forgiveness and eternal life. I, I want to do my future with Jesus. You know, let me just lead you in a prayer. And if these words are true for you, don't feel you have to say them, but if these words are true for you, just let me lead you in a prayer. And you can, you can say these words right after me, right where you are today. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for leaving heaven for me. Thank you for going to the cross to pay for all that I've done wrong so that I could be forgiven. Thank you for rising from the dead so that I could have an afterlife in heaven with you. I receive you into my life today. Cleanse away all my wrongs, all my failures, all my sins, all my fears. Cleanse it away. And I won't be perfect overnight, but I invite the perfect one to come into my life to keep changing me day after day. And I'm going to follow you, Jesus, all the days of my life right into heaven when I die. Oh, if you prayed that prayer with me. Pastor Austin's going to tell you about a next step in just a moment. But just listen, how many? You're a follower of Jesus, but you're saying, you know, this, this is getting to me. This is getting into those. Let me continue to pray. And now for you. So Jesus... Go deeper than any fear. Bring healing that is stronger and more powerful than any words or mistreatment or injustices or abuse. You died in the cross and you took all those things on yourself. We pray that, Holy Spirit, that you would take what Jesus did for us on the cross and just take that, make that love real to the person that is struggling with being unlovable, for the person that lives every day of their life with this fear of rejection, I pray that something would start, a new direction in their life where they realize whatever anyone else says, whatever else has happened to me in the past, I have a future with Jesus where I'm going to be changed more and more by his love. Oh, Jesus, heal them, I pray. Heal people right now as we are praying in this gathering, I pray. Thank you, Lord. And now may the, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of Father God, and that daily closeness of his Holy Spirit be with you. Amen and amen. Love you. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.